Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 474. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Jackie, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 474 you're listening to. My guest today is Grammy-nominated mixer and music producer Luke Argilla, who's worked on projects for Wu-Tang Clan, Summer Walker, and Slauson Malone One. He splits his time between Los Angeles and San Francisco, and we met originally when he was working for Dolby Labs, and now he is in the world of The Freelancer. So we're going to talk all about that. Luke Argella coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about networking. Nam 2024 is coming up here as of the airing of this episode. It's going to be a couple weeks away. Yeah. I go every day, all day. And I'm meeting people constantly. I'm doing different things at different booths. And yeah, it's a lot of talking. Um, my voice is very hoarse at the end. I've traditionally handed out business cards. You know, I've spent the money on the Moo cards. They're very clever. They look cool. But quite honestly, I'm over the, the paper business card thing. And I'll tell you something. The only business card that I ever have held on to for all of time since I got it was Steve Albini's card. Steve Albini gave me a card that was made of metal. That's That's how cool that card is. Metal business cards are quite expensive and I don't know if you want to haul a big bag of metal around at the NAM show or any other place you're networking with people, but there is that. Okay, that aside, I am using digital business cards. And last year I was using pop taps. Now, what that means is so I have like a, a barcode on my phone, a QR code. The person who I'm giving my contact info takes, you know, a scan of the QR code and it brings up my business card and then they download it and save it to their contacts. Then they can turn around and send me their info. PopTaps was cool. My brother from another podcast, Lidge Shaw, Lidge turned me on to PopTaps and it was great until it wasn't. Uh, the problem that I had with it was it received all the contacts, but exporting those contacts was a ginormous pain in the ass. It would say, okay, well, you know, say that you want to export your contacts and we'll send you an email with those contacts. And it's like, that wasn't a very good workflow. And then I switched to an iPhone recently after years of using Android and PopTaps just doesn't work on the iPhone 15. That was a problem. So I recently signed up for this thing called Blink, B-L-I-N-Q. I'll put a link in the show notes and you can check it out. I don't have any kind of affiliate thing going with them, but you should check them out nonetheless. Basically, it's the same concept. You have, you know, like a, a, a business card, a digital business card with a QR code and people can scan it and you can send it to people, you can text it to them. And then um, adding their contact info actually is quite simple. So like here, I met this engineer the other night, here his contact is, I can click on it and then I can I can add a note, I can say where I met that person and you know, the scenario, like did I meet him at NAMD? You know, Cause that's always a question when I pull up contacts, I'm like, wait, who is that? Where did I meet them? So anyhow, yeah, that that is, I think it's uh, very helpful to have that. And then it's, it's actually fairly simple to, you know, I can say download contact a phone and I don't have to go through what I did with pop taps. No offense, pop taps, but you gotta you gotta work your shit out. Uh, Blink Blink is doing a good job here. Okay, that's the business card aspect, and that's great. But there's the follow up aspect. Generally, like you know, I think one or two days after coming home from Nam, for example, I will sit down and I will go through the contacts that I've made and I will send a follow up, a text or an email, just to say, hey, it was great to meet you. You know, if there's some unique circumstance, you know, we met at such and such booth, a follow-up is good because then it puts you back on their radar and maybe it opens up a dialogue like, hey, if you want to catch up some time for a virtual coffee over, you know, over Zoom or something, or if they're close by, you can get in touch in person. Uh, I think it's good to check in once in a while. You know, maybe I meet somebody at NAM and 
I sent them a follow-up. They sent me a follow-up. Maybe we have an email exchange once in a while. And then I might not even see them or talk to them until the next NAM. So then right before I go to NAM, the next time around, I'll say, hey, I know we didn't get a chance to talk this year. Maybe we can catch up at NAM over coffee. And then follow up with them there because you'll be face-to-face. So that's how I do it. That's how I do NAM. That's how I try to do any kind of networking. This engineer whose contact I just downloaded, I'm going to send him a follow-up text and say, uh, you know, hey, you know, good to see you the other night. You know, let's let's talk, you know, whether they're going to be on the show or maybe we go for coffee to just to talk shop, whatever it is. I think just being sincere and genuine about your, your connections with these people and being clear about what... Uh, what's possible, you know? If there's an engineer, you know, in my camp, you know, usually it's, hey, I would love to know more about you. I'd love to, you know, grab a coffee and, you know, explore the possibility of you being on the podcast. That's that agenda. And then of course there's, you know, other people I meet, A&R people, uh, musicians, where we're talking about, you know, mixing stuff. Always kind of drop that hint out there. I would love to talk to you more about, you know, this particular topic that we have in common or something. So that, you know, there there is an intentionality there. There's something that you both have in common that you can talk about, that you can plan around, as opposed to, you know, just another person that, you know, is filling up their contact list. People are busy and they want some sense of purpose to what they're doing. And if you start out with a little bit of that, hey, we could have some overlapping common ground here about this particular thing, mixing, podcasting, whatever it is you're going to contact them about, then it puts a little more like urgency when they see you text because, oh, there's that, there's that dude who's, I might be on their podcast or I might have them mix something for me. Or it could be a pro audio manufacturer that you're trying to connect with as an endorsee or that you're interested in trying something out or whatever it is. See, always make sure you see it from their perspective too. Make sure it's not just a one-sided thing. Make sure that you know that, you know, their time is valuable just as yours is and you want to cut to the chase, but you also, you know, obviously want to be a cool human to them and not just, you know, a cold, hey, I need I need speakers or I need a mic, I need a microphone. Can you help me out? You know? There's, you want to form a relationship that you cultivate over time. So I know I'm just scratching the surface here, but um, this is what comes to mind when I think about NAM and uh, the people I meet and the people I meet at trade shows, honestly, are the people that I've become friends with. And I don't have business with all of them. There's certain pieces of gear I don't need, but I'm friends with people at those companies because it's just, I don't know, they're cool people and they know other people. However you're doing it, however you're networking, just get out there and do it for whatever task you're doing or whatever event you're at. And uh, yeah, check out the digital business card thing. I think that that's the coolest thing since sliced bread. So, so there it is. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. Luke Argilla here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Luke, welcome to the podcast. Wow, so good to be here. Like I was saying on the phone the other day, it's it's a real honor. I've been listening to this podcast a lot lately, and there's been so many incredible engineers and producers and brilliant minds on here. So it's a little intimidating, but um, I'm happy to be here, and what an honor. Thanks for having me. Pleasure's all mine. For the audience, former WCA guest Brendan Duffy introduced Luke and I. We'll get into this. Luke, at one point, was working for Dolby, and he was the person who made the connection to make sure that my Atmos room got tuned by Dolby. So that was our initial introduction to one another. But we'll get into all that. You grew up in San Francisco, right? Well, Bay Area, yeah. I grew up in the North Bay in West Marin, over there in Fairfax, San Anselmo area. Lived in San Francisco for the last 20 years or so. Recently relocated to LA. But yeah, I'm a San Francisco guy and grew up over there. And yeah, I'm down here in LA now. Growing up, did you have brothers and sisters? Yep, I have two sisters, one older, one younger. They're both up there in the Bay Area still. 
as well as my parents, and I got lots of cousins and aunts and uncles, big family over there in the Bay. Was anybody in your household musically inclined? No, not really. I mean, I have I have some really talented cousins that are musical, but neither of my parents or my sisters were. Although, I guess we all took piano lessons when we were kids, so we, we did have a little bit of music going on and listened to a lot of music, but I'm the only one who kind of went down this road. And why do you think that is? Oh my gosh, well, you're going to get into this whole background of psychology and whatever but <laughs> you know i don't know like it was kind of like a rebellious thing i i really loved music when i was you know ever since i was a kid i, I loved it i got into playing guitar when i was probably like around 11 or 12 started taking guitar lessons and then that led into grabbing an electric guitar and got really into punk rock music and started playing in bands with my friends probably around like age 13 13 mm -hmm. 14 and was really into the whole punk rock scene were your parents supportive of that to a degree <laughs> to a degree they were yeah absolutely they were i mean they you know they, they've always been supportive in the, in the way that they know how shout outs to my parents they're they're wonderful people but yeah the peak of my punk rock career was playing at the phoenix which you may or may not know of that's over in petaluma it's a legendary venue for that kind of music i uh, never got to play gilman street which was the dream mm. but but yeah you know grew up going to gilman and phoenix and all the local shows around the north bay and Trucadero in San Francisco is another big punk rock venue and Slims and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that was kind of my, my first experience with being a creative musician person was thrashing punk rock guitar with, with my buddies through junior high and high school and stuff like that. But in high school, you started to get into production. How did yeah. audio and recording and production come onto your radar? I was really fortunate. I went to a high school that had a little bit of that as part of a program called Communications Academy, actually at, at Drake High School, now called Archie Williams in San Anselmo. And they had a Communications Academy, which was really cool. It was kind of a little bit of an intro to what I would study in college. You know, they had the audio lab, they had the video lab, they had theater. If you wanted to focus on being a, an actor, you could go to the theater courses. I had a buddy that actually, the guy who got me in at Dolby, was at that same high school, shout out to Jordan Weil. He was in the video lab and I was in the audio lab. I think they had a little Cubase machine, Cubase station, I guess, with a few synthesizers and what have you. So that was kind of my intro into that. And this is around 98, I guess. So I was starting to explore other genres like rap music and electronic music. And so we were kind of having a ball in the studio back in high school, just experimenting with Cubase. And yeah, that was kind of my intro into production stuff was there back when I was about 17. As you're about to graduate from high school or graduating from high school, did you have any designs on carrying on in some way in music as a player or as an engineer or producer? Like, where was your head at there? At that point, we were experimenting with hip hop and sampling and producing beats and producing songs with our friends who were rappers and getting into that kind of stuff, I think. And then I was really into skateboarding and snowboarding. So me and three of my buddies after high school, we had no ambitions of going to college. We didn't really care. We were punk rock kids and we were into music and skateboarding. And so me and three of my buddies from high school decided to move up to Lake Tahoe mm. and get jobs at Squaw Valley Ski Resort, now called Palisades. And we were working on the chairlifts and snowboarding every day and getting into trouble, not caring anything about school or going to school, back to college or anything. And then at one point when I was living up there during the winter of 1999, I decided that I did want to go back to school and found a program at San Francisco State, which was an audio production program headed up by the legendary Dr. John Barsotti. Yep. Yep, who taught me a lot when I was, you know, in my early 20s. So I actually, I went to a junior college for a couple of years before that, actually, at College of Marin, and they had a Pro Tools course. So I started learning Pro Tools then. I think that around that time, I got my first interface, which was Digi001, and 
started diving into Pro Tools, again, making <laughs> pretty rudimental tracks at the time, but was fascinated with it and was really into you know MIDI production and making beats and dance records and that kind of thing. And then transferred to SF State, where I, where I got like a real education in analog, actually. A lot of what we learned at mm -hmm. SF State was analog production. So we had, I believe it was an Otari 24-track 2-inch tape machine and an old analog console and outboard gear. And we were just doing everything pretty much all analog for about two and a half years. I was studying that kind of methods with Mr. Dr. John Barsotti. You kind of have to say Dr. John Barsotti when you when Doctor, talk about no, him. Doctor, no, absolutely. And and I, last night I was doing some preparation for this conversation and I was going down my, kind of my history and I was like, yeah, SF State. So I, I looked up John on LinkedIn and just kind of found a video of him talking from that old studio. I think he's retired now, mm -hmm. but um, he was there for, I think, over 30 years maybe even longer than that, maybe 40 years. I think he was there in 1973, and I graduated in 2005, so that's 32 years, I think, right there. I met him when I was in a band that came to record at his class, and that's how I met him, and I was nice. just like, wow, this guy, this guy's pretty badass. Yeah, he actually, so, you know, I was I was in my early 20s. I think I guess I graduated around 25 years old, and he really inspired me a lot in so many ways. But one of the ways, at some point in my in my studying there with him, I thought to myself, gosh, Dr. John Barsotti, he's got the best life. He He's so happy. He's so enthusiastic. He loves what he does. He shows up every day to the studio with a cup of coffee, excited to get started. That's what I want to do. I want to be like John Barsotti, where I can just do exactly what I want. I can show up to the studio, excited to be there, love what I do. He inspired me to do that, to have a life where I could do what I wanted to do and uh, be involved with music and production. And he showed me that it was possible, basically. Because in San Francisco, it's it's not like LA. There's, there's less opportunities, there's less industry in the Bay, right? So, I mean, kudos to you, Matt, for doing it on such a high level. And everybody who does it, I know firsthand what it takes to have like the persistence to, to have a career in this. It's not an easy path, you know, so it's an amazing thing to be a part of. Not to get psychological on you, but to get psychological on you. <laughs> yeah. Back before you went to college, you and your buddies are up there in Tahoe and you're, yeah, you're hanging out, not giving a, a shit about what's going on really for college and, and such. But yeah. then you said, but then I decided I did want to go. I'm curious what triggered that? What, yeah. How was that transition made? Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually a, it's a funny story. So first of all, I'll say that when we were in Tahoe, I was still making music and experimenting with recording. My, my buddy, uh, John Fector, shouts out John Fector. He had like a little setup in his bedroom at our teeny little apartment in Incline Village, which is in the North Shore of Lake Tahoe. So we were, you know, the whole time we were up there, we were still jamming and experimenting and learning, really. We were still studying subconsciously audio production while we were up there just messing around. But uh, yeah, I mean, really like what happened, Matt, was I was kind of at a crossroads in my life. I guess I didn't really realize it, but I didn't really care about going to college. I didn't care about much of anything i just i kind of got into a lot of trouble when i was a kid mm -hmm. and so i was just happy to be out of high school and away from all that stuff so what happened was i was debating at that point in my life i was like you know this is a pretty sweet lifestyle up here in tahoe I, I love snowboarding i love the mountain life and maybe i could continue just doing this maybe this is my path you know there's a huge party culture up there which is when you're a 19 year old kid, you don't really know how to navigate that world healthily. So I think at one point I just realized I was 19 years old and we were working on at the ski resort and there were other people that we became friends with working at the ski resort too. And some of them were in their early thirties, right? And two guys in particular that we became good friends with were in their early thirties. And at one point I just realized like, oh, 
if I stick around, this is kind of what my future will look like. And they were good guys, but they were like 32 and doing the same minimum wage job we were doing. And I just realized like, gosh, if I don't find something else, then this is where I'm headed. So I had like a kind of a eureka moment and decided maybe I should go to college. <laughs> I was like, you know, like maybe I, maybe this is not exactly where I want to end up. So no disrespect to anybody who chooses that kind of lifestyle. It, it can be a beautiful way to live life. And um, it's a beautiful place. Living in Tahoe is a beautiful place. And there's a lot of great people that just chase that feeling when you have that freedom of, of riding down the mountain. And that's a beautiful way to live life too. But for me, I decided I wanted to do something different. And my passion was music. And at that point, becoming very, very passionate about audio production. And I found that program at San Francisco State. And I thought, oh, well, this is great. And the other thing is, Matt, that I was also really, really passionate about drum and bass music, which is a genre of dance music. And this, particularly, I fell in love with the San Francisco underground drum and bass scene. So I was really involved with that, too. When I came back to the Bay, I fell back in love with that genre after being in the mountains for a year. And I wanted to be around for that because I've, I was really passionate about that scene in San Francisco. So I found a program at SF State, which would be what I wanted to do, but also be in San Francisco where I wanted to be which was around this music scene and around my family. So it worked out great. And you were operating under the moniker, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, it's Lucchino? Lucchino, yeah, which is, it's like an Italian nickname. It, it actually translates to Little Luke. But my buddy Miro, shouts out to Miro Dondini, started calling me that around that same time. He's a buddy of mine from Italy. So he started calling me that, and I liked the way it sounded. And also, I'm third-generation Luke Argilla. This is kind of a story in and of itself. Yeah, so the name kind of made sense. And I, and I changed the spelling to use the American spelling of Luke. Mm -hmm. I think in, in Italian, you'd spell it differently, but I kind of tweaked it to be a combination of the Italian nickname and the American spelling of Luke. I still go by that, and a lot of drum and bass circles will still refer to me that way. Mm -hmm. I became part of a group, though, called Bachelors of Science, so that's kind of what my moniker is when I'm working with that group, and I've kind of dedicated the last 13 or 14 years of my creative energy to that group, which is more like a family at this point. So yeah, I've been producing tracks. I'm mixing records, but I've been also producing underground dance records, underground drum and bass records for almost 20 years. <laughs> Where do you go from the bachelors of science? I mean, are you kind of like, is that one of those things where you're like, you're always a member and you, you never really left? Yeah, I mean, we're still very active as a group. So we put out records every year and we, we're currently doing a radio program on Cool FM, which is this super legendary radio station in London. Mm -hmm. It was one of the original pirate stations in London that was doing this kind of underground dance music back in the 90s. And they recently got acquired, the brand got acquired by Rinse FM, which is another really well-known radio station. But if you're into this kind of underground music, you know of this station. If you're not, then you've probably never heard of it. But it's pretty well-known in this particular community. They acquired Cool FM, and now they've got this arm of Rinse FM, which is Cool FM, that does 24-7 drum and bass programming. They approached us about eight or nine months ago to be a part of this new relaunch of the station. And of course, we were very honored to be invited and, and accepted. And so now we're, this will be our ninth episode. We're doing a monthly radio show on there. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app 
And I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you say, Send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. In your time of, in Bachelors of Science, that wasn't your only gig, right? Like, how are you surviving? Were you just doing that? <laughs> were you doing side gigs? Like, how are you making a living? Yeah, good question. Yeah. I mean, drum and bass has never really paid the bills. At one point, it was probably like 80% of my income because I was touring a lot. So the way you make money with drum and bass is DJing, right? So we were DJing a lot and touring around North America and Europe. And you could almost squeak by with that, but not quite. So I was, I was doing all kinds of stuff, actually, Matt. So I was a card member with the local 16 union, mm. right? So I did audio AV tech work for many, many years. So I think before I was a member of the IATSE local 16 chapter, I was doing hotel AV at the Palace Hotel for a number of years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I did everything under the sun you can imagine that would allow me to keep doing music, right? So I was doing club sound. I did. I was the main sound engineer at F8 Nightclub for a good four or five years, maybe. And I did AV tech work at the Palace Hotel as like a full-time gig for maybe three, four years, two, three, four years, something like that. And then I joined the union. I was doing everything from A2 work to electrical to lighting to all kinds of stuff with the union, hmm. which I loved, actually. Shout-outs to the Local 16 and all the IATSE brothers and sisters out there. I loved that. That was really great. You know what I loved about it is that it was kind of... Doing the, the AV work, which I was doing in the hotel, but in the hotel, you had to be very, very proper and you had to kind of, you'd, you'd have a lot more control over you. Whereas with the Local 16, it was a little more rock and roll kind of style where you were the union guys coming in to help the hotel guys, right? And, and you weren't in the hotel full time, so you didn't have to kiss anybody's butt or whatever. So I liked that a lot, you know? <laughs> I like that a lot, a lot, a lot more than I liked wearing a suit and tie to do AV work every day at the hotel. That was kind of a drag. But the local 16, the, the, the union work was felt a lot more freedom to be yourself kind of thing. That's awesome. And such an ass kicker, too, as far as like different tasks, different scenarios all the time. Just such a good education, I think. Yeah, man, it was really cool. I mean, I mean, I like to say that I did sound for these bands but really i was kind of like the a2 so i was mostly running cables and plugging in stuff and helping raise up trust and raise up line arrays and all that kind of stuff but got to work on stages with tool and with dead and co and maroon five and some pretty big acts like ellie goulding you know just random stuff really at these shows some of them were not random some of them were like like for instance tool and dead and co that was at bill graham but then Maroon 5 was at some Super Bowl after party on Treasure Island. Just kind of random show. But wow. but yeah, it was really cool, man. I, I used to love it. And, the, and the, the camaraderie and the brotherhood of the men and women and people that work there. It's just, it's a vibe. I really, really enjoyed that. Was your next stop essentially working at Dolby? Yeah. So they kind of overlapped a lot, actually. So when I when I first started interacting with folks at Dolby... It was around 2013 when I got my first demo, mm -hmm. uh, and they, they brought me in. It was, again, my friend Jordan Weil, who I went to high school with. He introduced me to this guy named Gabe Corey, who was 
leading this group of folks that were experimenting with dance music and Dolby Atmos, right? So, And that was in 2013? Yeah, it was. Wow. Believe it or not. That was when I first got my first demo, and then immediately after the demo, they asked me if I wanted to experiment with Atmos in music, and I said, absolutely. So I started bringing in tracks. I would be working on drum and bass records, bachelor's of science records, and exporting stems and bringing them in and experimenting, mixing these tracks in Atmos. And we did that for probably a couple of years off and on. And then eventually they, they asked me if, if I wanted to work there as a contractor mixing music. And they, they were doing this project that we called Muse. I don't know if you even heard of this, Matt, but this was the, one of the original Atmos music projects. Simultaneously, there was stuff happening in LA with Rocket Man and all these other tracks being mixed in Atmos. But we were focusing on electronic music. And the really brilliant engineers at Dolby that I became friends with, they developed a DJ software. So you could actually take an Atmos track and control a laptop with traditional DJ equipment. And they had installed Atmos systems in nightclubs. And you could do a DJ set mixing Atmos music. So you'd have famous DJs like Kerry Chandler or Francois K or Solar Stone or so many others mixing music in Atmos and then DJing that music in nightclubs where you'd have speakers above and on the sides and in the front and in the rear and all around. And the tracks would be in an Atmos mix, Atmos environment, certain objects moving around overhead and what have you. And the DJs would be mixing them together with, with DJ equipment. It was really amazing. And that was what, what I worked on for the first four years I was at Dolby. So around 2016, actually exactly 2016, January of 2016, until around 2020, we were working on that project. And we installed sound systems at nightclubs in San Francisco and Chicago. There was a setup at an installation in New York. We had Ministry of Sound in London. It was amazing. And so we got to travel to all these nightclubs and work with all these famous, amazing electronic musicians. And my job was to help them remix their songs in Atmos. Wow. So you really got in on the ground level there because the tools clearly have, I mean, just in the two years that I've been doing it, have taken a giant leap forward. So I can only imagine what you've seen up to this point. Yeah, it is amazing. And shout outs to all the brilliant minds over there at Dolby that are developing this stuff because they are some of the most amazing and creative individuals that I've ever met. When we started, when I started, I guess, and when we started in those, those days, we were working with cinema renderers, right? So the only renderer that, <laughs> that existed was the cinema renderer, which was the RMU, the original, I guess it was the original RMU, but it was this huge PC server. It was like a rack-mounted, super loud, like the loudest machine you ever heard. So like having it anywhere near the workstation was impossible. So you'd have to have it in like a machine room. It was a PC server, and you would run your Mac DAW into that, using the comms lib and ethernet cables and stuff like that but yeah it's come so far now you can do the whole thing on a laptop it's amazing i was gonna say <laughs> i so cool. do the whole thing on an m2 laptop yeah yeah exactly I, I have an m1 and it does just fine and i i've been actually so when the pandemic hit and i was still at dolby i set up an atmos rig at home and i was running the whole thing on a laptop i've basically been mixing atmos on a laptop for I guess like almost four years now, three, four years. Yeah. I mean, it works great. It works fantastic. Now, unfortunately, your time there came to an end because obviously in a company, any company, priorities change and their sure. uh, personnel needs change. So you found yourself sure. uh, being laid off. And mm -hmm. now you're a kind of, would you say this is like time to be reinventing as, as a freelancer? Would that be accurate in saying that? Sure. Yeah, it's absolutely accurate. It's definitely a big change. You know, I was at Dolby for seven and a half years, actually a little more than that, give or take. But yeah, it's a big change. You know, being at Dolby was a huge part of my professional identity, right? And how I kind of defined myself as a professional. 
and yeah, I mean, nothing in life stays the same. Everything changes, right? So I'm super grateful for my time at Dolby. I made some of my best friends while working there, friends that I know I'll have for the rest of my life. And it's a great company, great people. I think part of what it was, and I, and I kind of felt it coming, Matt, you know, because for seven years, six, seven years, I was mixing music full time, mm-hmm. working with different artists, working directly with, with the artists, with the labels. And then we did our job so well that folks like you started mixing in Atmos and so many other great engineers adopted the format. That was the goal, right? The goal is not for me to be mixing music as a Dolby employee forever. It helped to kick the format off, to expose people to the format as listeners, expose engineers to the formats as creatives. And we did our job. So my role at Dolby was basically not needed anymore. And I transitioned from mixing to doing education and training and support for folks like yourself, right? So I did that for a good couple of years and then the priorities changed and there was some changes that happened. I honestly think it's for the best. It's time for me to do a new chapter in my career. And like I said, I kind of felt that it was coming. So it wasn't a huge shock. Mm-hmm but it never feels good. But, <laughs> but it, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time now. I'm excited for this next chapter. And big love and shouts to all my, all my friends over there at Dolby. I was hoping that you can maybe talk about the concept, and I'm sure other people listening to this have encountered this, where, allow me to be blunt, you were getting a regular paycheck at Dolby. And when we moved yeah, to yeah. a freelance position, it could be the, well, it is the Wild West, really. And it takes a big mindset change. It's a little bit like getting on the trapeze without a net kind of thing. How are you approaching yep. that? How are you trying to navigate that? Because it is it is a little tricky when a big chunk of your income goes away and you're then responsible 100% for everything. Yeah, man. It's a huge change, you know, and it's not it's not completely new to me. As we mentioned before, like I was freelance for years before Dolby for many years, you know, and I didn't mention this before, but I was also doing audio gigs, mixing gigs, recording gigs, things like that. I'd been doing that in addition to <laughs> producing and DJing and doing the the union work and whatever. So I, I've always been a pretty resourceful guy mm-hmm. and kind of like a grinder and a hustler. I've always found ways to make ends meet and that, you know, I'm knocking on wood while saying that because you never know what kind of curveballs life is going to throw at you. But there's a part of me that missed that actually when I was working at Dolby. And when I had that kind of full-time salary position, I kind of missed a little bit of that, that hustle and that grind and that excitement really that that comes from being your own boss Mm -hmm. Um, not to say I didn't love working at Dolby and that was actually the part of my life that was different (laughs) my whole life I've kind of been freelance in a way and the, the Dolby thing was the part that was foreign and I was there for seven and a half years and it was great it was wonderful but I did kind of miss a little bit being my own boss and so there's a part of me that's excited to have that that freedom again It's kind of funny. I think one can find themselves in a place where you might get a little like relaxed or I don't want to say complacent. That just sounds so negative in this case because I mean, it's just a different role. But I mean, you might lose a little bit of edge in a more corporate job like that, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But man, when compared to being on the ground, trying to, you know, just as you say, day-to-day hustling, it's a very different vibe. It's a totally different vibe. And I think it really worked for me for the first, I would say, I think it was about six years that I was mixing full time, like 40, 50, 60 hours a week, sometimes mixing records. And for the first four, it was the electronic music records, which is kind of my wheelhouse or a big part of my own creative world. And then the the second couple of years, it was more stuff focused on the streaming platform. But I loved it because I was still mixing records. You know, I felt like I was still doing my thing. And then the last year or two, when I transitioned into doing more training and education and support, I still loved it because 
there was so much growth happening. I was learning and talking to all these legendary, amazing engineers who I look up to, which is really cool. But I wasn't really mixing very much. Maybe I was doing some QC or I was tweaking some mixes or I was guiding folks through the mixing process. So I kind of missed being a creative every day, mm -hmm. you know, which is what I'm back to doing now, which is wonderful. So, you know, I feel like my time at Dolby was exactly what it was meant to be. It had the exact progression it was meant to have, and it was wonderful. And, and now it's time for something new. Do you find yourself like from a financial philosophy, are you a spender or a saver? Right now, I'm kind of both. I've been spending money to invest in this, this new chapter in my career. I'm trying to save money too. It kind of depends. Like I, I did some good saving while I was at Dolby, but I guess I'm a bit of both, Matt. I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, I, I, I get I it. I suppose I should be a better saver probably. <laughs> I get it. But, but you're also actively doing things to further this freelance career. So it takes a little bit of investment. Right. Can you talk a little bit about your time straddled between Los Angeles and San Francisco? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said before, San Francisco is home. That's where my heart and soul is. That's where my whole family is. I have an incredible music community there with all my all my drum and bass friends. Shout out the Stamina crew and all, all the folks that I've been making music with for the last 20 years. Most of them are in San Francisco. And so I, <laughs> I moved down to LA about a year and a half ago, but I did it in a way where I could still keep a, a foot in the door in San Francisco because of many reasons. But mainly, if I'm being honest, mainly it's a family thing. It's really important for me to be connected and close with my family, especially my, my sisters. I want to be there for them and uh, my parents. So I basically, I have a rent-controlled apartment in, in the Richmond district of San Francisco. And several years ago, I guess maybe four years ago, I turned the dining room into a studio room. And it's a three-bedroom flat. I've got roommates there. And when I moved to L.A., I rented out my room, but I turned that studio room into like a fourth bedroom slash guest room so I could still have a place in San Francisco. <laughs> so basically, I've still got an apartment in San Francisco, and I'm actually going to be putting a little Atmos room in there so that now that I don't have to be in L.A. Monday through Friday for a day job and I have freedom to go up and down between LA and San Francisco at will, I'd like to have a place that I can keep working when I'm up there. So I'm going to have a little little humble Atmos room up there. Probably, hopefully, by the end of the month, I'll have it set up. Do you still have roommates in that rent-controlled apartment? <laughs> I do, yeah. Okay, so the obvious question, how the hell does that work with trying to run an Atmos room with roommates? Yeah, well, the good news is that the room is on one side of the flat where the bedrooms are far away on the other side. So when folks are sleeping, I can still work at a reasonable volume without bothering anyone. And so I did this for years, actually, in stereo. And then when the pandemic hit, this is where I had my original home Atmos studio. Mixed a lot of records, actually, <laughs> in that apartment already in Atmos. The other thing is that on this side of the flat, there's no bedrooms above either. So it's like garage underneath, and then my upstairs neighbor, it's his kind of dining room upstairs. Mm. And my upstairs neighbor is like a good friend of mine. I've lived in, in this flat for, I think, about 10 years now. And the guy upstairs is a friend of mine. He loves to jam really loud music. So we have like an agreement that we don't give each other a hard time. We let each other do our thing. So it's really a great scenario for, for doing what I'm trying to do. And then the other thing is that the roommates work during the day out of the house. So from nine to five, which mm. is where, you know, when I do most of my work, there's nobody really there and I can have the freedom to work without bothering anyone. That's great. And then you're talking to me from your Los Angeles spot, right? Yeah. So in LA, I have my own place without roommates, which is wonderful. It's my first, <laughs> my first ever place without roommates. So that's kind of cool especially at, at the ripe age of 43. But uh, so yeah, here I have a two bedroom little house and I have the studio in the second bedroom here. Okay, that's great. Yeah, so this would be like my main studio, right? So I'm here probably about 60, 70% of the time. And then I'm, I'm hoping to be up in San Francisco, maybe 30 to 40% of the time. 
whenever it, it makes sense. But yeah, that's why I want to have a, a little room up there because I, I'm hoping that I'll be busy enough where I'll need to have that. <laughs> Knock on wood again. Yeah, yeah. Is there any kind of strategy that you care to share or elaborate on about, okay, now I'm a freelancer. How do I navigate? What do I do? How do I spend my time? How do I financially plan? How do I get gigs? Is there a strategy, a conscious one? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of trying to figure that out. I've been fortunate that some work has been coming my way. Mm -hmm. uh, ever since I got let go or laid off, the universe has been good to me. And uh, I've been able to get enough work to be moving forward in a comfortable way. I recognize that things can always change and that work could dry up. So I'm trying to, A, prepare for that, for those moments, and B, try to develop some ways to generate business as well. Yeah. But that's all, that's all kind of in the works. I'm, I'm, kind, of, <laughs> I'm kind of slowly moving forward with, with those ideas because I've been busy. I've been working. I've had quite a bit of work and, and most of it's coming from friends, you know, actually Brendan Duffy or, or someone asked me or mentioned like, yeah, well, you must have so many connections from Dolby that yeah. you're busy. And I'm like, well, ironically, no, like all the work that I've been doing has come from mostly from old music friends. Some, I guess, from Dolby friends, I should say, but, but mostly it's, it's old friends. Like for instance, one guy named Starsky, shout out Starsky. He's an old SF buddy that used to own a studio that I worked at for many years. I should shout out ATV, Above the Bar Studios, where I worked for about five years freelancing and also just producing my own stuff. That was a huge piece of my growth was ATV Studios. And this guy Starsky that owned and operated the studio is now in LA and he's producing and he's doing incredible stuff. And he knew that I was an Atmos guy and knew that I was now in, in the market and started sending me Atmos work for the stereo stuff he was doing. And then through that, I met this guy named Bryce Lane, shout out Bryce, who's an A&R for several different labels. And he started sending me work individually apart from Starsky. And so now Bryce and I have a relationship and he's sending me Atmos stuff. And one of which was a Summer Walker record, which was one of the biggest R&B records probably of the year. I, w I wanted to say summer. Was it summer? Was it fall? It was a few months ago. So, I mean, working on that was one of the bigger records I've done since leaving Dolby. And things have kind of just been happening naturally. And then my friend Kush, who works at Empire, linked me up with some folks at Empire, and I've been doing some stuff with them. And I've been really blessed with some, with some work to start this new chapter. And uh, I'm very, very grateful for that. And I want to just, you know, address what you're saying here if the audience isn't really paying attention. It's relationships. I talk about it time and time again, and you're just hammering the point home here. It's like you had the, the job with the regular check. Now you're on your own and you're able to land well, number one, because of your financial moves at Dolby, saving a bit so you have at least some backup but also because of the relationships that you've built and cultivated over time. Because when people see that you're trying to help yourself, I find that that's when people say, oh, hey man, you need some work? Great, let me throw you some work because we have stuff and, and we like you and we have this relationship. So all that just to say, cultivate those relationships, people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's about those relationships. It's also about having those folks be familiar with your skills, right? And and I don't think anybody's going to throw you work just because they like you. Right. They're going to throw you work because they like you, but also because they know that you're going to be able to deliver what they're looking for and what the job requires. So, I mean, not to, to say that I'm like the man or anything, but I have been doing this a while. And I think the folks that have been gracious enough to give me that call also are doing it because they know my work. So like Starsky, I did remixes for Starsky back in the day, like when there would be overflow of, of client work. So back then it was, it was a small little production studio, but they had nice gear. They had Neve Pre's, they had nice monitoring, they had API, outboard, tube techs, all the kind of stuff you would want for recording rap records, right? So it was a lot of rap records going on there. And when there was too much work, I was kind of like the third or fourth engineer down the list, right? Yeah. So 
I would I would end up running some of those sessions for them and doing mix downs and doing remixing because I was like the drum and bass guy, right? So they would say like, oh yeah, you should do a drum and bass remix of this rap record. And I was like, hell yeah. So I did I did some of that stuff too. And But uh, yeah, so shout out to ATV. That was like a huge part of my growth was the time over there. Well, we are out of time. And for the audience, I will obviously, I'll have links in the show notes for you for Luke's website and social media things and stuff like that. So you can definitely uh, check him out. Yeah, I guess that's about it. Dude, thank you so much for responding to my, hey, Luke, I know you're in the airport. Can you come on the show? Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm so happy to be here and and, uh, such an honor to be even in the same podcast as all the legendary engineers that you've had on here. I was scrolling through it last night and just looking at all the all the giants that you've had on this program. So it's, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it was great to chat with you and, and learn more about your past because I, I didn't know. So it's good to know. Well, thanks again and, and take care. All right. Thanks, Matt. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Luke Argilla here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I have to pester you again. If you could head on over to your podcast aggregator and leave a five-star review, that would really help the show out. And I would certainly appreciate it. That is all for me today. I want to thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plow on the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith greeting you at the top of the show with that lovely voice. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Or feel free to email me, matt at workingclassaudio.com. Until next time, my friends, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.